I'm Shay Sun. My pronouns are she, her, and this is our scripture reading for this morning. It comes from Matthew, Matthew 4, 1 through 11 in the NRSV updated edition. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly the angels came and waited on him. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. What do you hear when you hear that scripture? It's familiar, right? Anything stand out to you this morning? Sorry. I think this is a perfect example of how scripture can be read in different ways. Because she prayed that scripture originally, and the devil used it for temptation. Mm, that's good. That's right. Anyone else? Okay, well, let's get into it. Who is Satan? Who is the devil? What do you think of when you think of Satan? What are some things you've been taught? Nobody, know, nobody knows about Satan? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Libby said she was taught that he was ugly and horrible, monsterish. Yes. Uh, Pitchfork. Pitch and a tail. That's right. That's right. Tail, ears. Yes. Somebody, Somebody you want to hang You want to hang out with? No. Oh, okay. Don't. Well, anyone else? He was a fallen angel. He was Lucifer. Anybody watch the show Lucifer on Netflix? It's cute, isn't it? I'm not saying you should watch it, but it is cute. Yes. Yes. Well, 
If you've seen Lucifer on Netflix, Amen. he is fine. Mm. Yes. Good point, Shay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sure. That's right. Good point. Yes. Mm. It does. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Good point. Yes. Yeah, I heard a Bible study teacher say years ago that we give way too much weight to the power of Satan that this particular Bible study teacher said, I can get myself, my own self into trouble all by myself, independent from Satan. And I think that's probably my story as well. Yes? Satan made me do it. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yes? Man, y'all are all preaching my sermon today. I love this. Let's just go home. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yes. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes, that's right. Yes. Oh, yeah? Huh. That's interesting. Anyone else? Yes. Right. That's right. 
All right, well, I've got a couple, a few slides for us this morning because we're going to look about, look in Scripture to see how the idea of Satan evolved. So the first time we read about Satan is in the book of Job. That's the oldest reference. And he is called the Satan. Notice it's low caps. He is the Satan, not Satan. Um, he is a prosecuting attorney in, in Job 1 through 2. He is... He is this, um, you know, God is conversing with Satan, the Satan, and God brings to the Satan's attention, hey, there's this one guy on the planet, which seems really kind of cruel of God, right? But, like, there's this one guy on the planet that's blameless. He's pious. He's righteous. And he loves me no matter what. And Satan, the Satan scoffs at God and says that the only reason Job is pious is because it pays off for him in earthly blessings and that he would curse God if he lost everything. So Satan, God gives the Satan permission to test Job to see if this is true. Amy Jill Levine says, The import of this understanding of the Satan in Job 1 through 2 is that God is complicit in causing Job's suffering. Let that settle in your brain for just one second. We just sang it in the very first song that we sang. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. This is theology that we hold on to sometimes. And particularly Matt Redman, who wrote that song, he definitely was with that in mind because Job says in 1, Job 1, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. God is complicit in causing Job's suffering, the death of his children, the loss of all of his belongings, and eventually the physical pain that he suffer, suffers. In the biblical view, nothing in this world except for human rebellion happens without God's concurrence. It's as clear as in this story and elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible, the Satan cannot act independently of divine command. The Satan in the Hebrew Scriptures can't just walk up to somebody and try to trip them up. He has to have permission from God. He has a short leash. Um, there are commentators that say the Satan is part of God's celestial council. This is where we get the idea that the Satan was an angel. In the Hebrew scriptures, the Satan is not an evil being who opposes God. The Satan is an accuser. The Satan is like a meddler. Like, a, who was the neighbor in Bewitched that was so nosy? Yeah, Gladys. <laughs> That's the Satan. <laughs> what can I get over you? In the second slide, three other times in the Hebrew Scriptures is the word the Satan used. In 1 Chronicles, 2 Samuel, the Satan tempts David to take a census of the people. Now this, the Satan here is still God's functionary. The Satan is not hostile, is not evil. First Chronicles, God is displeased that David allowed himself to be enticed by the Satan. And then Zechariah, God rebukes the Satan for preparing to accuse the high priest Joshua. That's it. Four times in the Hebrew Scriptures do we read of the Satan. And it's all the Satan every time. And it's this prosecuting attorney. Now this is why I wanted you to have your timeline again. Because all of these, including Job, they're all composed during this Persian period. 
They've been let out of captivity. They've been sent back home. And now they are with the Persians. They are under their authority. Somewhere in this Persian period, their idea of the Satan evolves. So you can go to the next slide. So in this Persian period, now remember those four scriptures from the old, from the Hebrew Bible is in the Persian period, but we're still in the Persian period, okay? We haven't left it yet. We're still in the Persian period, but the idea is evolving. So the Persians were notorious Gnostics. And so these were the people they lived with. You, if you live with somebody long enough in community and culture and life, sometimes you can take on their thoughts and ideas and even attributes and ways of doing things. I live with Terry, my husband, for a while now. I will find myself using phrases that he uses with other people. And I'll be like, why did I do that? That's not even mine, that's his. But we do that, right? We kind of, we get to know each other and we adapt. And so the Persians believed in this dualism that, go, that good is equal with evil. There is a good God who causes good things and there is an evil God who causes bad things and they both have power. They both have equal powers. This is where we get Gnosticism. Now, Gnosis is the knowing, the secret knowledge that removes the initiated believer from the material power of evil and elevates him into the spiritual world of goodness and blessing. I'm quoting here. In the Gnostic faith, the material world and the spiritual world, the human body and the human soul are hostile and opposed to one another. This idea of good and evil being equal had a heavy pull on the Jewish people during this time. And we see this kind of thinking in the New Testament writers. I, I don't have time, we don't have time to get into all of that. Maybe we can someday. But there is evidence that some of our New Testament writers were influenced by some Gnosticism. Like in 1 Peter, where it says the devil crawls around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. That's pretty, that's pretty tough. How many of you grew up with that scripture, like being thrown at you, right? <laughs> Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Therefore, I have a, a request for the elders among you. I urge the elders... Like shepherds, tend the flock of God among you. Watch over it. Don't shepherd because you must, but do it voluntarily for God. Don't shepherd greedily, greedily, but do it eagerly. Don't shepherd by ruling over those entrusted to your care, but become examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. In the same way, I urge you who are younger, accept the authority of the elders, and everyone clothe yourselves with humility toward each other. God stands against the proud, but he gives favor to the humble. Therefore, humble, humble yourselves under God's power so that he may raise you up in the last day. Throw all your anxiety onto him because he cares about you. Be clear-headed. Keep alert. Your accuser, your accuser, the devil, is on the prowl like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith doing so in the knowledge that your fellow believers are enduring the same suffering in the world. I don't know about you, but when I was taught those scriptures when I was younger, it was scary to me. 
Like, there's a devil behind every single corner that I can look at waiting to devour me and get me off of the wrong, get me into the wrong way, the wrong path. And so, this idea of good is equal with evil. There's a good God, almost like the, you know, the analogy, the, 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 the good guy on your shoulder saying, don't do this, but the devil on this shoulder saying, don't like that, like that. They both have equal powers. Now, later on, in about the 3rd or 4th century CE, common era, Gnosticism will be declared a heresy. However, we still cling to it in some ways. We really do think dualistically sometimes about good and evil, even though we shouldn't. Now, the third slide... Oh, no, no, that one. I'm, stay there. I'm sorry. Now, if you'll look on your timeline, go past Hellenistic period and go to the Maccabean Revolt. So some 400-odd years later, there's this guy that rises up. His name is Antiochus Epiphanes, and he is a monster. How many of you read the Left Behind novels? I've asked you this before, right? This was who this is. And then, this is what happened with Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus appointed a high priest deposing the one that the Jewish people wanted in the temple. He took him out. He appointed another guy that was going to answer to Antiochus and do things his way. And he was not a good guy. He was not a good high priest. And the Jewish people revolted. And they deposed him, and it causes this war. So this is what the second Maccabee says. When these happenings were reported to the king... He thought the king being Antiochus Epiphanes. He thought that Judea was in revolt. Raging like a wild animal, he set out from Egypt and took Jerusalem by storm. He ordered his soldiers to cut down without mercy those whom they met and to slay those who took refuge in their houses. There was a massacre of young and old, a killing of women and children, a slaughter of virgins and infants. In the space of three days, 80,000 were lost. 40,000 meeting a violent death, and the same number being sold into slavery. So in the aftermath, Antiochus Epiphanes, he outlawed Jewish rites and traditions, and the Jewish temple was changed to worship Zeus instead of God. Antiochus sacrificed a swine in the image of Moses, and that the... not sorry... He sacrificed the swine and at the altar of God that stood in the outward court sprinkled them with the blood of sacrifice. He commanded likewise that the books which were taught to hate other nations should be sprinkled with the broth made of the swine's flesh. He put out the lamp in the, te- in the temple uh, that was supposed to burn continually. He put the lamp out, but it was always supposed to burn. Lastly, he forced the high priest and the other Jews to eat the swine's flesh. This led to the Maccabean Revolt. This is where we get the hammer and all of these stories that we read in First and Second Maccabees. This also led to the book of Daniel being written. Now we get a lot of left-behind theology from Daniel, but I hate to break it to you. Daniel has nothing to do with the end of times in America. Sorry if you were clinging to that. Daniel's writing about a monster right there in front of him that's making him do the, that, that, are, that is 
committing horrors against the Jewish people. This is what Daniel's writing about. So all of this in this Maccabean period led the Jewish people to think of Satan, not the Satan, but Satan with a capital S, as the problem. God was not making people suffer. God's enemy, Satan, was. A.G. Levine says, In their view, the suffering of God's people could not be explained as a penalty for their sin. God surely would not punish His people for doing what was right, for keeping the laws. Why then did people suffer? Why did this keep happening to the Jewish people? There must be some other supernatural agency, some other superhuman power that was responsible. God was not making His people suffer. Satan was. And so we see that Satan becomes Satan, Beelzebub, the devil. Now, if you look on your timeline, this is around 164 BCE. That's not too far before Jesus comes up on the scene. So this is the thinking of the people, of the Jewish people at that time. There's a reason these bad things are happening and it can't be God. God loves us. God would never make us suffer. So you see how the, the idea of Satan evolves. Satan works with God to cause havoc. All of a sudden, no, 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 that's not what happens. Satan is God's enemy and he has power equal to God. So on the fourth slide, this comes to the present age where from, from this time the Maccabean revolt up until the 3rd and 4th century, this idea of apocalyptic, I cannot say that word, so y'all just read it. Forces of good or evil, there's no neutral territory, one or the other. The eight, so they believe that the world that we're living in right now, what they were living in then, they would say that is the present age and it is controlled by sin and evil. And we're kind of helpless to it. We, we, we can't help it. We are in the age of evil, so what else can we do but succumb? So when somebody succumbs, oh, well... That's just what happens in this present age. We have no agency. They believe that God had relinquished control of this present age to the powers of evil. God had stepped back and he told evil, he told Satan, jurors. But they believed that at the end of that age that God would return and get rid of all the evil. So that's what they were waiting for. They were waiting on God to come, to intervene, to break through into their world and end this cycle of evil. Now I want you to imagine that the writers of our New Testament would have had, even if they didn't believe it, they would have had this in mind and were probably influenced that way. In light of all of that, I read Matthew 4, 1 through 11 a little differently now. Think through this with me for just a second. If Mark had a, Mark and Matthew, if they had a background view of Satan that was dualistic, Satan is equal in power to God, then that text that Shay just read, Jesus is saying, that ain't true. That ain't true. Because I have power over Satan and I'm just a guy on earth. Satan has no power over Christ, tempts him, yes, 
but Jesus doesn't yield. Satan is not equal to God. And if Matthew had a background of apocalypse... Why can't I say that word? (sighs) This present age of evil, then these texts say to me that God has not relinquished control of this world and let it go to the powers of evil. I believe that's what Jesus was trying to say. Now, he told this story to somebody because there were no witnesses to this exchange that Jesus had with Satan. So Jesus had to have told people what happened for us to have the story in three of the Gospels. And I think Jesus was trying to say, these things you've been taught are not true. Evil does not have free reign in this world. God has not relinquished control of us, of our world. We have agency. We are not left to the whims and the mercy of Satan. Is Satan real? I don't know. How could I? I, Possibly, maybe. I don't know. But I want to share with you what I believe the main takeaway of this sermon is today. Something that I that I feel that we should leave here with. Yesterday on Twitter, someone posed the question, mainline churches, what makes a sermon enjoyable or memorable to you? What makes a sermon enjoyable or memorable to you? So there was lots of great answers. There were like over 300 responses. It got over 7,000 views. I don't know who the guy was. He had some kind of weird handle that I'd never heard of. I don't know who he was. One people, So I'm going to read just a few of the ones that they said. Uh, the preacher needs to mean what they say. I don't want to be entertained. One person said, no monotone. One person said, trenchant. And I had to look that up because I don't know what that is. Vigorous or incisive. Multivalent. Relatable. Rhetorically compelling and brief. Whoever wrote that, they have a really good vocabulary. It should be loving, orthodox, and brief. A lot of people were brief. Brief. 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Somebody said, pointing us to what Jesus said in the gospel, reading without a sense of superiority or showmanship. We are looking at it together. Insights and conclusions that the preacher has arrived at through his or her own study, not just poaching someone else's sermon. Enjoyable, humorous, delightful, well-told stories, vulnerability, and on and on and on and on. In the middle of all of that, there was one response that really got me. (coughs) This person said, if it reminds me that Jesus is real. I want to tell you something. I have put two years of my life into studying Second Temple Judaism. I've loved it, and I will continue to study it. I want to tell you what God spoke to me yesterday when I read that in that thread. It don't really matter that much. It's great. I love to research. You give me a topic, I'll research it to death. That's not what's important, though. And I felt the Spirit of God saying that to me yesterday. That's not what's important. What's important 
is that you stand up there and you remind the people that Jesus is real. That's what's important. Is Satan real? I don't know. And i got to be honest with you. I don't know that I care anymore. 20 years ago, I was really worked up about it. Now, who gives a crap? (laughs) Jesus is real. He is for you. He is not against you. That is what I know. And how do I know? Because every time something evil has come into my life from the time I was nine years old until this very minute, something that would seek to devour me, destroy me, ruin me, Every time something profoundly good came out of it. That's how I know he's real. It was not good, the things that I went through. There were consequences, there were repercussions, but good came from it. And every time I have the honor of testifying about a God who comes through, evil loses Whatever that is, evil loses. Every time I have the honor of encouraging someone to keep going, evil loses. And that is the same testimony of all of you in this room. You can all tell me stories like that. That is the same testimony of millions and millions and millions who came before us. That Jesus is real. Jesus is real. Will you stand with me as we recite the Apostles' Creed? All right. Will you recite this with me? We believe in God, the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, sacrificed. There it is. Judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. God did not say, you shall not be tempted, you shall not be troubled, you shall not be distressed. God did say, you shall not be overcome. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led into the wilderness where he was tempted sheltering God, guiding God. As you were present with Jesus in his wilderness experience, so you are present with us. You have urged us to trust you. Love me and call upon me and I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble and I will honor you. We have felt discouraged and at times even abandoned and betrayed by you, O God, when all manner of things have not gone well with us. And we say, Lord, have mercy. Instead of following where you lead, O God, at times we follow a tempter who shows us a vision of the world that is a mere counterfeit of what you desire for us. 
At times, O oh God, we are deceived and enticed by limitations of love, abundance, and joy. Christ, have mercy. O oh God, when you have not answered in the ways or in the time we desire, we have been tempted to lean on our own understanding and not acknowledge you in all of our ways. We've often sought to control our lives and order our own steps, often ignoring your wisdom and pushing your guidance aside. Lord, have mercy. Help us to trust you to journey with us and to guide us. Help us to rest in your promise to never leave us or forsake us. Amen. As our communion servers come forward, let me offer this. Sisters and brothers, God is at work in us and with us. God is our clothing in which love enwraps us, holds us in all, and closes us because of God's tender love so that may God never leave us. We are protected safely in love, in woe as in well, by the goodness of God. God urges us, keep your word near you. Even on, keep the word near you, even on your lips and in your heart. This word is your salvation. As we share communion today, with the word on our lips and in our hearts, experience the salvation of God for all manner of things in our lives. In the presence, power, promise of